Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled Prime. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. When I was growing up, one of the movies that got a lot of airplay on HBO uh, was the 1980 comedy Nine to Five starring Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton. Fonda, Tomlin, and Parton play three women working at a corporation under an autocratic, egotistical, lying, sexist boss played by the always entertaining Dabney Coleman. Coleman is the perfect sinister antagonist uh, to the ladies under his leadership. He yells at his staff, takes credit for their ideas, harasses his female subordinates, um, spreads office gossip and numerous other things. Fed up with Coleman's uh, abuse, the three heroines decide to kidnap him, take him back to his mansion, and lock him in his bedroom until they can find a way to blackmail him. While the boss is held hostage at home, the women capitalize on his absence at the office by implementing several changes around the office using his signature. Some of the changes uh, include a flexible work hours program, uh, equal pay for male and female employees, a job sharing program, and even an on-site daycare center for workers with children. Eventually, Coleman's character uh, breaks out of his bedroom and brings the three heroines back to the office at gunpoint, at which point he receives an unexpected visitor, uh, the chairman of the company. The chairman of the company loves the changes that have been implemented by the women, uh, but praises Coleman because Coleman takes credit for things he didn't do. This gets Coleman a promotion to the company's Brazil location. And in the epilogue, we're told that Tomlin gets promoted to her boss's position. Jane Fonda's character quits working after marrying Mr. Wright. And you guessed it, Dolly Parton's character resigns so that she can become a country western singer. And their oppressive boss, Dabney Coleman's character, is abducted by Amazons in the Brazilian jungle and never heard from again. I hope I didn't just ruin the movie for you if you were planning on seeing it, uh, renting it. Although 9 to 5 was a fictional comedy, I think it was so popular in its day because it resonated with audiences. I mean, let's be honest, we've all had bosses that we wanted to kidnap so we could implement our own ideas or changes at the office. And uh, those of you that are bosses have at least for a second maybe thought about doing something illegal to an employee that was driving you crazy. And so um, as tempting as these things may be, God's Word offers a more spiritual and legal way to handle our frustrations at work. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Colossians called Prime. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3 and to pull out the sermon notes that are in your worship folder you received when you came in. 
If you forgot your Bible, or uh, we have plenty that we can loan you, just raise your hand, and uh, one of our ushers can bring one to you. We want you to have a copy of the Word in front of you so you can follow along. Our theme verse for this series has been Colossians 1.18. If you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you to underline it in your Bible and mark it. I have in mine, and I've just put a little note, key verse. This is the verse that captures the theme of the book. Uh, let's read it out loud together, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The Apostle Paul emphatically states throughout this letter to the church in Colossae that Jesus Christ is supreme. And because he is supreme, he is sufficient. And because he is sufficient, he should be superior in our lives. And one of many areas in our lives in which Jesus needs to be superior is in our work. Thus, our big idea for today, the sermon in a sentence, is this. Your personal faith in Christ should shape your public life at work. Your personal faith in Christ should shape your public life at work. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that chapters 1 and 2... Uh, of Colossians are very theological in nature. But then in chapters 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul gets very practical. Uh, in chapters 1 and 2, he in essence says, here's how you need to think about Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he seems to say, here's how you need to live for Christ. Or another way to say it would be, what we believe should shape the way we behave. Now, contrary to popular belief, work is not a byproduct of the fall. It may feel like it, uh, especially if you have to work on Thanksgiving week. Uh, it may feel like it is a curse. But we know from the Genesis account that God placed Adam in the garden to work it. That's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So work is not a curse from God. Instead, our work became cursed by God because of the fall. And that's in Genesis 3. Thus, the Lord still sees work as good, but we now must toil hard uh, with blood, sweat, and tears in order to get the benefits from work. Now, despite this, when we work, we are like God, as his image bearers, because the Lord worked when he created the universe. Genesis 1 tells us that. Work allows us to create, to build, to produce, to uh, use our talents and gifts, and to experience satisfaction and much more. If you hope to work someday, if you are working now, or you used to work for a living, this message is for you. So with that, if you would look at Colossians 3, uh, verse 22, Paul says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Here's the first of two points that Paul makes in these verses. The first is, Jesus' first employees bless their supervisors. Jesus' first employees bless their supervisors. Uh, Jesus first, of course, is the theme I've been emphasizing in this series, and I think it is the theme of Colossians, since he's supreme, since he's sufficient, he should be superior, which means Jesus should have first place in our lives. Now, what I mean by this is Jesus' first employees bless their, their supervisors, is that Christ followers, who have rightfully given Jesus first place in their hearts, will be a blessing to their bosses. Now, you might be intrigued as I was when I started to study this. You see the term bond servants, or depending on your Bible translation, it may say slaves. And that might seem kind of outdated, like, you know, that, we don't have slaves today. What do we do with this? Well, it's important to note that, first of all, the apostles neither condemn nor condone slavery in their writings because slavery back in the first century was a an integral part of the socio-economic world. Estimates run the gamut, but one scholar believes that as many as one-third of the population of Colossae were slaves. Slavery in the first century, though, was different than what most of us understand it to be because many of us learned in school about slavery in the American South during the 19th century, which led to the Civil War. Um, this is not the same kind of slavery. It was actually very different. Um, different, for one, in that slaves were used in far more ways in the first century than they were in the 19th century. Some slaves in the first century held very dangerous jobs, like working in mines, uh, while others held very comfortable positions, like uh, running their master's business and helping raise his children. And then others had something in between those two extremes. Slavery also was different back then in that it was not limited to just one race. All races and ethnic backgrounds were slaves in the first century. In fact, many voluntarily sold themselves into slavery uh, to slave owners because the education and employment opportunities were so limited back then that it was better to be a slave than to be unemployed living on the streets. Keep in mind, this was way before the Industrial Revolution, so most of the first century population um, earned a living by either farming, fishing, or being a slave. That was pretty much it, as far as career opportunities. In other words, because of the way the world was in the first century, it would have been unloving for a Christian master to set his slaves free because it would have banished them to a life of unemployment and homelessness. This is why the New Testament doesn't call on masters to free their slaves, but rather it calls on them to treat them well. Now, since we're living in the post-slavery world after the Industrial Revolution, a modern translation of bond servants would be employees, um, verses 22 to 25, and then chapter 4, verse 1, which we'll look at this morning, are talking about the workplace. That would be the modern application to uh, 
to, for this passage. So how can Christian employees bless their supervisors? How should we conduct ourselves at work? Uh, here's uh, letter A, by sincerely obeying. By sincerely obeying. Paul says, those who are your earthly masters. There's an important detail I want you to be aware of here. The apostle distinguishes the immediate supervisor of employees as earthly. And he does this because he wants to remind us that we have a higher authority to answer to in heaven. And he does this also by using a wordplay in the Greek text. Um, the Greek word used for master in the front half of the verse, verse 22, is the same Greek word used for Lord in the back half of the verse. And Paul basically does this. He uses the common noun on the front half of the verse, and he uses the proper noun form on the back half of the verse. So in other words, you could translate like this. Obey your earthly master, small m, because you fear your heavenly master, capital M. Well, how, how do we do that? He says, not by way of eye service. Not by way of eye service, verse 22. The ESV translation goes into a more literal rendering of the original text, while other translations uh, chose to paraphrase what Paul intended here, which is fine. Uh, some translations say, not only with external service. Or not only when they're watching, or not when their eye is on you. Basically, this phrase is describing an employee who only works hard when their supervisor is watching them, but then slacks off when they're not. Paul says this is a problem because it means you're being a people pleaser if you do that. Some of your Bibles paraphrase this as to curry their favor. It's an interesting turn of phrase. It's a compound word in the, in the original text that Paul uses to reinforce what he already said in the previous phrase. He's saying, don't just work hard when you're being watched because it's hypocritical and people-pleasing. And it doesn't please the Lord. Instead, obey your supervisor with a sincerity of heart because you fear the Lord, because the Lord is always watching you even when your supervisor is not. So what's this mean? It means, it means there should be no change in your behavior when your boss walks onto your floor, into your office, or shows up on your work site. There, there should be no scurrying like, oh, like you're pretending you were always working before the boss showed up? Like you've been doing your work all along? So, so like don't be on social media or shopping online while you're on the clock, but then pretend you were actually preparing your monthly report for your manager when your manager walks up on you? It's the same thing kids do when you know, we, we have this happen in our house. I'm sure you did this when you were a kid. I did, and you probably have seen this. We, we, you know, I, I'll leave the house, say, hey, when I'm gone, no TV, make sure you get your chores done. I leave, run an errand. I'll be back in a few minutes. Come back. There's a scurrying that happens. The TV got turned on. I can tell because the remote's not in the same place it was. 
and they act like they were doing their chores the whole time. It's, like I said, I did it when I was a kid. You did it too, so don't be acting like you've never heard of that before. Hey, I've always been doing what you see me doing right now, and nothing changed while you were gone. <laughs> That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, don't do that, because the Lord sees it, and it's deceptive to make your boss think you were always working before he or she showed up. Your personal faith in Christ should shape your public life at work. So how else can employees, Christian employees, bless their supervisor? Paul says, let her be, by diligently working. By diligently working. Verse 23, he says, work heartily. The Greek word that he used literally means out of the soul or from the soul. I take this to mean that our ministry for the Lord at the church, at church, or, or the work we do Monday through Friday needs to be done with passion and excellence. The Lord wants us to care about it. Why? Because, he says in verse 24, because you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I, I thought I was only working for the man, my boss, because he's the one that signs my paycheck. Nope. Apostle says, the Lord gave you strength to work, talent to work, and your job to work, and a boss to answer to, but you're actually working for the Lord. The Lord even incentivizes working heartily for him, as we see in verse 24, by saying, the quality of our work here on earth will determine the quantity of our eternal rewards in heaven. So, so, so in other words, because we are working for the Lord, it means we should show up on time every time and not leave early. It means we should always do stellar work instead of shoddy work, and that good enough is never good enough for the Lord. It means regardless of how much compensation or whether we are compensated at all, we should give our best effort for the Lord, and he will reward us accordingly. Next, Paul says another way that Christian employees can honor their supervisors is by patiently waiting for the Lord's justice. Letter C. By waiting, patient, patiently waiting for the Lord's justice. Uh, Paul says the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong done. Sometimes there are injustices in the workplace, and he, he's acknowledging that. That's a reality because every company, every organization is made up of sinners. You will sin against others and you will inevitably be sinned against. It could be wrongful termination. It could be discrimination. It could be having your reputation tarnished by slander or your career sabotaged by false accusations. Paul wants us to remember that the Lord is sovereign over these things as well. And that he will execute judgment with perfect impartiality while at the same time using such wrongs for good in our lives. I think he also says this because the Lord doesn't want us trying to exact our own revenge by slacking off on the job. Oh yeah, well you're going to do that to me? Well then I'm just not going to work as hard. 
Or, yeah, or I'm going to take a few things home that belong to the company and pretend like I didn't see it. Or, uh, or I'm going to lead a rebellion in the department, build a posse, cause an uprising, all the things that people do when they've been hurt or wronged. So Paul says, trust the Lord for justice. How do we apply this? Here's two applications that come to mind. We want to be doers of the word, and we want to walk in the truth, as the scriptures call us to do. Uh, First of all, remember, there's two applications I'm going to give you. The first is, remember the Lord is sovereign over your supervisor. The Lord is sovereign over your supervisor. I remember working... uh, in the marketplace, and in my first one or two ministry positions, I remember struggling at times because it felt like my supervisor controlled my finances, my future, my moods, and my life. However, I learned verses like Proverbs 21.1. You might want to jot that down and look it up later. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he will. Therefore, the scriptures remind us that the Lord can use poor supervisors to accomplish good in your life. And when it's no longer good, he'll either move you on or he'll move your supervisor on. Next, the second application that comes to mind is remember who you represent. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you have been called to something much greater than just earning a paycheck. You've been enlisted to represent the King of Kings as an ambassador and to make the gospel message known as a messenger. This means that if your coworkers are complaining around the water cooler about work or criticizing the boss, you say nothing. You don't join in because you were called to be different. Your coworkers and supervisor will draw conclusions about the Lord and his church based on how you conduct yourself. The Lord wants your boss to be scouring the streets of our community looking for more Christ followers to hire because he hired you. Or your boss should be asking, hey, do you have any friends looking for work? Because you know, we've got a couple positions to fill. And I, I really, man, you've been great to have here at our company, and you do such great work, and you have integrity, and you're trustworthy. Is there, is there, do you have any friends that maybe you think would be a good fit for this position? Because we'd like to get some more of you here, more people like you. See, this this isn't meant to be a burden, but rather it's a great privilege. Because it means the Lord wants to use you to make an eternal impact in a temporal job. So your personal faith in Christ should shape your public life. In Jesus' first employees, well, they bless their supervisors. Next, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Paul then transitions to the next group. He says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also 
have a master in heaven. Here's number two on your outline. This will be the second people group he addresses. Jesus' first bosses bless their subordinates. Jesus' first bosses bless their subordinates. I know some of you in here are in management or own companies, and so you have people that God has entrusted to you to lead and to manage. And so what I mean by this is that, is that Christ followers who manage employees and have rightly given Jesus first place in their hearts will be a blessing to their employees. It doesn't mean you'll do everything that they want or grant every wish that they ask for, but you will be just and fair, as Paul says here in chapter four, verse one. So how can Christian supervisors bless their subordinates? Well, Paul says, and here's letter A, with reasonable working conditions with reasonable working conditions. He says, treat them justly. Now, justly and fairly seem like similar concepts in English, but they actually are two different words in the original text. Justly comes from uh, the Greek word that means what is right, what is lawful, or meets the standards set by God. I think it means supervisors should have realistic expectations, provide the resources their employees need to do a good job, and do their best to provide justice when wrongs are committed. It, this means, it, could, it could mean censuring or firing an employee that's hurting the team or the culture of your company. It, it could mean purchasing new equipment that's safer and makes their job easier. It could mean reducing an employee's workload because it's unreasonable. Paul says, treat them justly. Next, what else can they do? Uh, letter B, treat them fairly, and I understand this to mean with fair compensation. With fair compensation. I know it doesn't stand out in the English as clearly, but uh, one of the things I love one of the reasons I love getting into the original languages a little bit is because I feel like it takes the text from black and white to high definition color. And, and this, is, this is in part because Hebrew and Greek, Hebrew is what the Old Testament was written in, Greek is what the New Testament was written in, they are very precise languages, whereas English is a sloppy language. It, it, it's very difficult to translate from Hebrew or Greek to English. And so, um, there's almost always something lost in translation when you go to English. And so I, I love to dig into it because there's almost always a little more under the surface and I get some high definition color. And here's what I mean by that. Fairly, as you see there in chapter four, verse one, it comes from a Greek word that literally can be translated equality. But it's not the kind of equality that we're used to hearing about. In this context, and where the word is used elsewhere in the scriptures, it refers to a quantitative equality in the sense of giving them what they are due. In other words, if, if you're a business owner or a supervisor, don't be a cheapskate if you can afford it. Wise employers take into consideration their employees' education, experience, responsibilities, cost of living, what competitors would pay in order to come up with a compensation package that pleases the Lord. 
It's on the generous side of fair. That's a phrase I like, to, I like to use. Because they don't want their employees so worried about their finances that they can't focus on their work, and they don't want their employees to go work for somebody else that will pay them better. So, so Paul says, here, here's how Christian supervisors can bless their subordinates with reasonable working conditions and fair compensation. So how do we apply this? If you're in management or, or uh, you are a supervisor or a business owner, remember who you answer to. Paul wants supervisors who exercise authority to remember who they are accountable to, and it's to the Lord. Thus they should treat subordinates the way they would want the Lord to treat them. If the Lord has entrusted you with people to manage or to lead, do your best to admit your mistakes, to listen to concerns, and remember what it was like when you were a subordinate. So remember who you answer to. In the 17th century, there was a young French soldier named Nicolas Hermann who came to faith in Christ through a dramatic conversion experience. Not long after this, a serious back injury, which some believe was sciatica, which they didn't know how to treat back then, forced him to retire from the army. The injury left him in considerable pain and lame for the rest of his life. After a few years as a footman, Nicholas, uh, he worked for a wealthy family as a footman, which is sort of like a, a butler, uh, he enrolled in a Paris monastery in hopes of becoming a priest and took on the name Brother Lawrence. He ended up spending most of his life working in the monastery's kitchen, uh, doing monotonous tasks such as working, or excuse me, cooking, cleaning, and other things. But in his later years, he transitioned to the role of cobbler, which I believe is a shoemaker. While Working in the kitchen, this unknown, uneducated priest developed the practice of always living in conscious awareness of the Lord's presence. Despite having an obscure position in the monastic community, word got out about Brother Lawrence and that he had developed this skill of practicing the Lord's presence at work and that he had a very deep, intimate walk with the Lord. This reputation attracted many visitors from around the region to come and seek his counsel about how they too could walk more closely with the Lord. After Lawrence died in 1691, a friend of his compiled the notes of their conversations about his walk with the Lord and published them in a short book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Here's just a couple snippets from his book that explain how he developed this practice. Uh, Lawrence says, There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Only those who practice and experience it can comprehend it. Now, here, here's what I think he was, he's, what he's saying. Contrary to what some think, Lawrence is not suggesting that we replace our morning devotions by talking to the Lord throughout the day. 
And I've heard some people try to justify that, by the way, over the years. Not, not in this church, but at other churches. Instead, this is what I think Brother Lawrence means by this, is that he's saying, extend your morning devotions into your day by keeping the conversation going with the Lord. So after you say amen at the end of your morning Bible time and you head off to work, keep talking to the Lord. We can talk to him about what we learned in our devotions. We can ask him for insight on how to apply what we read in the scriptures. We can praise him for giving us a job to work or ask him for wisdom as we go about our day. It means that we ask the Lord throughout our week, please, Lord, help me to teach this class or to plow this field or to lead this meeting or to treat my customers right for your glory. Next, Lawrence urges Christ followers to change the way they think about their work. Uh, Here's another quote from the book. He says, we can do little things for God. I can turn a cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And I can pick up straw from the ground for the love of God. Again, Lawrence is not recommending that we replace corporate worship by worshiping the Lord with our work throughout the week. Instead, he's saying, extend your worship into the work week. Extend your corporate worship on Sunday to Monday through Friday. It means that we tell the Lord, I'm going to teach this class, plow this field, lead this meeting, or treat my customers right for your glory, Lord, as part of my worship of you. Brother Lawrence is saying we can give meaning to our work by making our work an act of worship. And when he did so, he applied basically Colossians 3, 1 and 2, which we studied a few weeks ago. It allowed him, in the monotony of working in a kitchen, in a monastery, to set his mind on things above. And it can help us do the same too. Well, your personal faith in Christ should shape your public life at work. If you can do that, you'll find yourself praying for your boss instead of thinking of ways to kidnap him. And you'll find yourself blessing your subordinates instead of wanting to curse at them. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, The directives that your word gives us this morning are very countercultural. Many that profess faith in Christ don't practice these things at work, these truths. Father, would you help us, especially those here or maybe listening online that are employees, to bless their supervisors to be a light in the darkness, to be salt in the workplace. Would you, Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, as they abide in you and they spend time with you in the mornings throughout the week, Lord, would you help them to represent you well at their place of work? Help them to obey respectfully, to work diligently, and to trust you with justice if there were wrongs done to them. Lord, uh, for those that 
have been entrusted with leading or managing people, would you help them to be different as well? Would you help them, Father, to be reasonable, just, and fair? Would you help them, Lord, because of their witness and how they conduct themselves to, to be so different and so attractive as a boss, as a supervisor, that their subordinates go, man, what is it about you that's different? Father, there's a great mission field in the marketplace where, where we work. Would you help us, Lord, as a church to maximize opportunities? Would you help us to see opportunities to talk about our faith in Christ? And finally, Lord, for those who are not employed, who are seeking work, please, Lord, would you provide for them? Would you provide for them work that would match their gifts and talents and allow them to provide for their families? And Lord, oh, by the way, I forgot to, there may be some that are in a job that they're struggling with whether to stay in that position, whether they should move and make a change. Please, Lord, give them wisdom. Give them insight on whether you want them to stay there and persevere or whether you are leading them to make a change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.